0: Thanks for this great time of worship. Before you sit down, here's what I want you to do. First of all, if you have children, send them to me. I won't keep them. You need to take them home. But send kids down. They're going to sit right here on this front step. We're going to have a great time together. Meanwhile, you turn around. Say hello to everybody. If somebody's from Colorado, they can't help it. Be nice to them anyway, right? Thanks, guys. That was awesome. All right. Come on down, kiddos. It looks like most of you are here. Excellent, excellent. Okay, thanks. you That's enough being nice to each other. You know those people from Colorado, they can't help it. You should be nice to them anyways, no matter even if they are from Colorado. You can have a seat. Thanks. The uh, young people here are going to help us. Think forward into what we're going to be studying and learning possibly about the Holy Spirit. Hopefully you'll learn. So here's my question today, guys. You ready? Here's the question. Who do you know that knows all kinds of things about you? I mean, they know you really, really well.
1: My best friend, Ethan Helmick.
0: Ethan Helmick. Does he have a great tie t-shirt like that, too? That's awesome. It's got a tie, got the little pocket protector. That's brilliant. Who else knows a lot about you? My parents. Yes, your parents do. I know your parents, and they do know a lot about you. My family. Absolutely, family. My brother and sister. Yes, they know too much about you, don't they? I'll come back over here. What do you think? Jesus. Well, Jesus probably does know some things about you. What do you think? The Holy Spirit, because he's inside of you. Well, you know, that might give him a little bit different access to the information. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, he's inside of you. Any other answers down here?
1: Well, my best—well, there's two of my best friends that are right by, and they know a lot about me.
0: And why do they know so much about you guys? Why do they know so much about you? Do you know? Why do they know so much about you? Um, that they... No, no, okay, that's... Why do they know so much about you?
1: Because um, you've been with them a long time, and they um, just kind of, like, learn about you, and, um, yeah.
0: That's good. That's good. What else? If, no, if they know about you, it means they spend a lot of time with you. Oh, see, there's some time involved. Very interesting. Now, if they know a lot about you, what does that mean? What can they do with that information? What does that mean, if they know a lot about you? That they can. I forgot. It's okay. Um, uh, maybe that means they know how to bother you, or maybe that means that they know how to help you. Isn't that what we think of first? They know how to bother us, if they know a lot about it. They can use that against us. What else?
1: If you ever get lost, to call the police and know what to look for
0: yeah they can identify you they could actually if you're lost in the woods somewhere what else Um, they can help introduce you um, to people because if you're really shy and you have a good friend who really knows you then um, they can help that other person that
1: you're meeting get to know you
0: true and I would suppose you're very shy and have trouble with making a lot of friends no that's not true now guys here's what we learned today there are people who know a lot about us and actually the Holy Spirit if he's inside of you knows probably more than anything that can be used for different things can it I think we're going to learn a little bit about that in a minute Lord let's pray Lord thank you for these children Bless them. Give them grace and courage for their lives and their future. Fill them with your spirit. Fill us as well, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Give these kiddos a big hand. You guys go find your parents. (laughs) Pastor Brian, come on up here, brother. Brian Post. We had a lot of fun ministering here through all the years here in Dillon. It's been a great place. And this feels vaguely, if you're having deja vu all over, you know, that doesn't work that way. If you're having deja vu, <laughs> like you got to walk around with that. How high do you want this? <laughs> this is fun. We're, how, we're, how high do you want
2: it? I, I'm still technically incompetent. As <laughs> <ever>. <laughs> well, there Somebody you go. come help me. Perfect. Okay. All right. That's fine.
0: Yeah, it feels like deja vu, then uh, have at it. It's all, it's all <laughs> yours.
2: Well, you're just going to have to allow me a little bit of sentimentality here. Um, like many of you... The Post family has wandered around a little bit in life and lived a few places here and there. Um, But I want to say that the 13 years that we spent here in Summit County is still very, very dear to us. It's a place where we completed our family. It's where we raised our children for the most part. It's where we raised our children with some of your children. It's where um, we learned so much about being a pastoral family. And you taught us so much about being a pastoral family. It was a good time. God was good to us. God was good to us through you. And I know that on earth, we don't ultimately have anything called home, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. But there are homey sorts of things, places of belonging, places of nostalgia, places of joy. That's what home means. And of course, where we are born and raised is part of that. Uh, But I want to tell you that a day doesn't go by, or rarely does a day go by, except that I remember something fond about summit county yeah and it's the setting the setting's beautiful um you you can't you can't disagree with that i even miss the winners here the winners on the front range are so wimpy and you should hear them complain with the smallest bit of snow and i think you guys need to be quiet but really what we miss is you guys we miss the people from Dillon community church so i want to thank jim i want to thank mark I want to thank the Board of Elders at Dillon Community Church for letting us come home. Let's pray. So, Father, one of the common ideas, one of the very normal complaints in Scripture about the pagan gods that the people of God saw around them was how they were made out of wood and stone, how they were cut down from trees, they were dug up out of the earth, they were fashioned by the skill of a human being. And therefore, though they had eyes, they couldn't see. And though these pagan gods had ears, they couldn't hear. And they had mouths, and they couldn't speak. They had hands, and they couldn't touch. And you bowed down to them, but they weren't alive. They were dead, false gods. And then in a great mystery, a paradox... The God who's not made out of anything, but has always existed, reveals himself to us. And he does not have eyes, but he can see. He doesn't have hands, but he can touch. He doesn't have ears, but he can hear. And he doesn't have a mouth, but he can speak. And it's our hope that the living, the true, the eternal, the infinite God would speak to each of us here this morning. Something that is tailor-made, that special touch you have of taking one person's words and somehow speaking through those words to each heart and rewarding each heart for being here. And we ask that that would happen in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. "Amen." Let's stand up. While I read the scripture to us together, the two passages we'll look at, we stand up much as we honor a great person who comes in the room. And when we read scripture, we're reading God's word and we stand up to honor his presence through his word. So our first passage that we'll look at this morning is Psalm 139, and it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. This is the God who knows us. John 16 Verses 12 through 15 is about the God who continues to speak to us. Here Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only of what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take what is mine and make it known to you. This ends the reading of God's word. All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen? You may be seated. Think with me for a few moments about people who know us confidentially. Our doctors, for instance, know very private information about us, don't they? Our dentists know whether we floss our teeth how many cavities we have, whether we grind our molars in the middle of the night. The Department of Motor Vehicle may know a great bit about your driving and maybe even your drinking habits. Our investment advisors know private details about our finances. Our bosses, they know strengths and weaknesses in our job performances. Our parents can tell embarrassing stories about us when we were a a child. Our children have seen us in some of our worst moments in private. And, of course, if we're married, our spouses know everything. And if they don't, they should, right? So maybe there's a moment of disclosure there. Well, this morning, as you continue your study of the Holy Spirit, we think about the fact that that such confidential information about us can be a little unnerving if the information is embarrassing or if those people aren't sensitive and discreet about how they use such confidences to themselves, on the other hand, it can be good. If we need medical treatment, it's a pretty good thing to have a doctor who knows. If we need to change our pension investments, if we need to improve our performance at work, if we need to know how to love our children, our parents, or our spouses better. People who know about these private, sometimes even secret areas of our lives if they're trustworthy to speak truth to us in a way that they can receive it, then they can actually speak truth into our lives that changes us and grows us personally so that we improve. And I'd like to suggest this morning that the Holy Spirit is just this sort of presence in our lives. Someone who knows us confidentially and who, if we let him, will speak powerful truths to us to bring welcome changes in these confidential secret areas of our lives. And so this morning, what I'd like us to hear is that the Holy Spirit is the presence of a confidential God who speaks to the secrets of our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the presence of a confidential God who will speak to the secrets of our hearts. And what we'll do is we'll break this this message down into three parts. First, we'll we'll examine the the confidential God who knows us. Then we'll talk about the God who speaks to us. And then we'll examine the primary way that God does speak to us. So let's turn then to Psalm 139. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up and read along with me. If you don't, just come along for the ride. We turn to Psalm 139 to examine the God who knows us, the confidential secrets, the good and the bad of our lives. And in in verses 1 through 4, the psalmist King David writes this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And this simple phrase at the beginning of Psalm 139 begins David's attitude of wonder, his attitude of marvel, that the Lord knows him that well. And the word Lord here is the word in Hebrew that we say is Yahweh. And Yahweh is the name that God gave Moses to tell the ancient Israelites that the Lord was sending Moses to free them. He said, tell them Yahweh sent you. And Yahweh is a tricky word to translate. It means something like I am who I am or I will be who I will be. And God's point of calling himself Yahweh seems to be that he is the one, the only one with ultimate being. Now that may sound sort of abstract to you. It may may sound like, what does that mean? But it's profound because while every person here by virtue of being alive has being, there's not a single person here who concocted your own being. Every one of us here drew life from someone else. As a matter of fact, every one of us here drew life from two someone else's, right? God is the only being that never received it from somebody else. And his name tells us that he gives being to everybody else without receiving it from others. He is the ultimate beer. And by that, I don't mean an alcoholic beverage. He's the ultimate beer who gives being to everything else. Now, think about David's wonder that the ultimate beer, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the creator, who eternally exists outside of time and space, who's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, everywhere at once, the only being who gives being to all others without receiving it from anybody else, so that so other than anything we experience, that people in Scripture say He dwells in inapproachable light. This God is aware of us. How many of the ants around here are you aware of right now? Hopefully, not many. You know, I hope you don't have that going on. But the gap between an ant and a human being is nothing compared to the gap between a human being and an infinite God. And yet he is aware of us. And more than that, he's not just aware of us. David is saying that he pays attention to us and he understands us. In verses 2 through 4, David expands this idea by saying, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out. You discern my lying down. You are familiar with with all my ways before his word is even on my tongue you know it completely O lord in other words god's aware of our physical movements he knows what we think about he knows what we're about ready to say even before we say it so therefore he even knows our motivations for what we do and along with that must be the fact that he knows our deepest hopes and fears our deepest joys and pains our deepest desires and our most terrible regrets. In reality, then, there's nothing about us that he doesn't know, which is why David says, Lord, you know me completely. In the scripture, such meditating on God is often done in comparison with the pagan gods. Oh, yes, we're here, aren't we? With the pagan gods. Um, here we go. Hang on, hang on, hang on. That's why that's there. Thank you, Mark is often done with the pagan gods of the peoples around them, gods who were considered local, gods who were part of the people groups around them, who dwelt and controlled just region, one region, gods who weren't creator gods, people who did, or, or gods who did not view people as valuable individuals, gods who were distant and unconcerned. And David marvels about how different and how personal and how present Yahweh is. You know what? I need to set this down. This is in my way. Don't let me forget that, David. So David marvels at how different and how personal and how present Yahweh is. Notice in verses 5 through 6, he says, You hem me in, behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. An all-powerful, infinite God who draws close to us, behind and in front, maybe closer than we want to, And lays the personal touch of his hand on us. David said, this is simply too wondrous for us to understand. Almost too good to be true. Then David thinks about the fact that this closeness of Yahweh to him, this intimate knowledge that the Lord has of him, isn't just because David lives in Israel. It would be true no matter where he went on the earth and even beyond the earth. And we see him pick this up in verses 7 through 9, where we find some of the most visual and some of the most poetic language in all of scripture. In these, David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? This is not a literal question. He's not looking for an answer. He already knows it. The answer is nowhere. And now he imagines going as far in all physical directions as his world knows about. When he writes this, If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. In David's world, the heavens were as far up as anybody could imagine or knew about. The depths were as far downward. Where the sun rose was in the east. It was as far eastward as anybody could imagine. It was beyond it. And westward, beyond the sea, was the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, the furthest point that anybody he had ever heard of had ever explored. And what David is reflecting on is that if he were able to journey to the remotest places anybody could even conceive of, God's hand would be upon him even there. Think about the fact that God doesn't have literal hands. So what does God mean in this case? God's hand is a metaphor for his personal knowing and his presence, his reaching out to touch us. And the right hand is symbolic of his bringing us into the most favored, intimate place in his life. You've heard the phrase in English, he was my right-hand man. We get that from the biblical imagery of the place of most honor and the place of most intimacy. And what David is saying here is that God is like a father, holding his children close to his side and guiding them, sustaining and protecting them no matter where in or outside the world they are. And in verses 11 through 12, David now continues his meditation upon the, about the knowing presence of God by saying this, If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. Pitch black to God looks just like this. For darkness is as light to you. Here David marvels about the fact that not even the absence of light can hide him from God. If we were to use modern images or modern places, we might say that were David to descend the 7,208 feet to the deepest cave we know in the world, the Krubera Cave in Asian Georgia, If he were to be sucked into Sagittarius A, the the super black hole that that scientists assume is at the center of our galaxy, the utter darkness of that cave, the absolute lack of light in that black hole would not obscure God's vision and access to him there. And David finds great comfort in the fact that the darkest of darkness is as bright as the noonday sun to this ever-present, perfectly-knowing God. And then in verses 13 through 16, the final stage of David exploring God's complete presence and knowledge of him, he takes us to the most unknown and mysterious place that David could imagine. He takes us to his mother's womb. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you there when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, an image for being inside his mother's body. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days that were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before the invention of ultrasound machines, no one saw the wonders that happened in a mother's womb where life is conceived and the wonder of human form is developed, where brain and heart and lungs and muscles grow together to form the glory Of humans created in God's image it was an utter mystery to us and yet even there David marvels God was present breathing in life giving form and color and size tying together sinews and ligaments assigning temperaments and talent granting purpose and numbering days not only was God there in that most secret and mysterious place David could possibly imagine it was God's daily roll up your sleeves go to work workshop. That's the depth of God's ability to find us and be near us. If David spoke in modern American, you know how he would express this wonder? He would express it like this. Right? Mind-blowing that this infinite God would actually know him so well and be so intimate to him How can there be a God so present everywhere who knows me so well? This is David's meditation on the Spirit of God who knows us so confidentially. Now let's think about the Spirit of God who speaks to us, who speaks to these confidential areas in our lives. We pick this up in John 16, 12 through 15. It's Jesus last night with his disciples as, as they have known him on earth. It's just hours before his arrest and his trial, his torture and his death. And Jesus is addressing the emptiness and the confusion and the fear that his disciples feel because he said, I'm going away. And his disciples are saying, you're going away. You're the Messiah. You're here to bring the kingdom of God. It's what we've been waiting for for centuries. Where are you going? Why can't we come? What about the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. That is why I said, I will take the, I, the spirit will take from me what is mine and make it known to you. In other words, just because Jesus was about to ascend to heaven and not be physically present in their lives anymore did not mean that he wouldn't speak to them anymore. He had much more he wanted to say, but it would be through the Holy Spirit who would listen to Jesus and then would speak what Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus is saying that they would not be left alone. They would not be spiritual orphans. The Holy Spirit, the counselor, would be a continuation of Jesus' ministry in their lives to remind them of what he he had already taught them and to teach them more. Think about what this means in terms of him speaking to the personal areas of our lives. When Jesus was physically present on earth, he had an eye-popping, a jaw-dropping ability to speak to people's most private, confidential areas. The woman at the well, he challenged her about her multiple husbands and she had never brought it up. To the paralyzed man whose friends dropped him through the ceiling right in front of Jesus to be healed, Jesus looked through the physical need, and what did he say? Son, your sins are forgiven. That wasn't what they were there about. To Nicodemus, who came to get to know more about Jesus and try to understand him, Jesus cut right through it, and he said, Here's the deal, Nick, you must be born again. That's not what Nicodemus was talking about. But Jesus knew what the issue was. To the woman caught in adultery, exposed publicly, feeling utterly alone, scared, unwanted, and used in a deadly chess game as a pawn to try to kill Jesus, Jesus spoke to heal the most hidden and confidential wound in her heart by saying, I do not condemn you. For Jesus to assure us that he has more to say to us through the Holy Spirit of truth who will come after he is physically gone means that the God who is with us at all times and in all places and in all moods, the God who knows us and cares about us more intimately and powerfully than we do ourselves through the Holy Spirit still speaks life-changing words to the most confidential areas in our lives just like he did 2,000 years ago. That's the continuation of Jesus' ministry. So where do we hear the voice of the Spirit? Now here's where I remember something I read years ago that keeps me from being embarrassed. And the reason I'm saying that is because I'm about ready to tell every one of you something that you all already know. And there's a danger of you saying, we came out here and sat through the sun to hear that guy say that. I knew that. But the quote that's always stuck with me is it got, I, I read one time in a book where it said the, the, sometimes the role of leadership is to remind us of the obvious. We need to be reminded of the obvious sometimes. The number one place, men and women, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us is through Scripture. It is in Scripture that we find the words of Jesus, who the Apostle John called the Word of God. It is in Scripture that we find the writings of of the other prophets and the apostles who often lace their words with the Lord says, the Lord has spoken, or this declares the Lord. It's in scripture that we not only hear the mind of God addressing the most important issues in our lives, but in a remarkable way, taking those words that have been read by millions of people, millions of times, but tailors them to our circumstance in that day and speaks something life-changing to us in that moment. And so it's in Scripture that we find the Holy Spirit continuing to speak Jesus' words of life to us. If we will immerse ourselves in Scripture, not waiting for parent or teacher or minister to read it and explain it to us, then we will hear the Spirit's words of God's unlimited love for us, His offer of reconciliation with Him and about His gift of eternal life to us. If we will carefully read scripture for its original meaning, rather than reading the meaning into it that we want it to say, then we'll hear the Spirit's words of liberation from destructive lifestyles. Of cleansing us from the shame and the fail- of failure and of directing us towards worthwhile and lasting purpose in life. If we will read scripture prayerfully, turning God's words into our words to him of praises and thanksgiving, turning the words of God into our words of requests and groaning, into rejoicing and tears, then the Spirit will guide us through such personal and practical choices that we face in life as to where should I go to college? Where should I live? What job should I take? Whom should I marry? What church should I attend? Where should I tithe my money? How should I serve in the community? if we will learn key passages of Scripture by heart and meditate daily on how it applies to our particular circumstances, then with Elijah, we will hear the still, quiet voice of the Spirit speaking life-changing words to our hopes and our dreams, to our desires and joys, and yes, speaking to the secret places of our hearts where we wrestle with our wounds and our failures and our disappointments and our discouragements. If we will immerse ourselves in scripture, then at the end of our lives, we will say something like this. We will say, the God who knew me confidentially and the God who loved me more than I love myself spoke to me. Not every day. And not every time that I read Scripture, but off and on over the course of my life, through His Word, He breathed the life-giving words into me in a way so personal, so private, and so relevant that it is impossible that it was coincidence. It was the voice of the living God speaking to me. Of course, there are other ways to hear God's Spirit that we don't have time to consider this morning. Yes, God speaks to us through prayer. God speaks to us through Spirit-led people. He speaks through us through spirit-ordained circumstances. He speaks to us through the glories of nature. I'm sure that he speaks to us in other ways that I don't even know about. But the Spirit of God will never say anything to us that isn't affirmed in Scripture. Scripture is the standard of the Spirit's truth. And so Scripture is not only the word of God to us, but it is also the standard by which we measure every other voice that claims to be truth. And so let us start by listening to scripture. The question I put to us this morning is, what is our relationship to scripture? If scripture is the voice of God, then scripture is the presence of God. And if what we teach about the gospel is true, that we are called to have a personal relationship with God, then let me ask us, what's our personal relationship with scripture? I have never met a person in my entire life who said, my relationship with scripture is everything it's supposed to be. I'm all good, don't bother me with this anymore. (laughs) Never met that person. It's certainly not me. And if you're normal, it's not you. You maybe you don't have a Bible even, that's okay. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to speak for the entire leadership and the people of DCC and promise you, they'll give you a Bible before the end of this day. Jim, can I guarantee that? Okay, if you don't have a Bible, go to Jim, go to Mark, go up to somebody you don't know and say, can I have your Bible? They'll give it to you with their name, their family tree, their anniversary date. And when you come across their anniversary, call them and thank them. Okay, maybe you have a Bible, but you just don't read it. It's that dusty decoration in your house, taking up space under your bed, proving every day that the laws of gravity are in effect then just start you know the saying the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step just start grab the book go to a gospel and read 10 minutes a day maybe you're somebody who has a bible and and you feel familiar with the content then it's time to go beyond the milk it's time to go to the meat It's time to dig in deeper to Scripture and start understanding the whole message of Scripture rather than just the basics of the gospel. Maybe you're already there. Then I've got a challenge for you. It's time to memorize it. It's time to memorize major portions of Scripture by heart so that we can take it with us as the living Word of God through every daily circumstance. Maybe you're doing that. Then it's time for you to teach. It's time for you to say, wow, The word of God dwells richly in my life. I think I need to start passing it on. And if you're there already, then it's time to learn Hebrew and Greek. (laughs) Anybody here fluent in Hebrew and Greek? Got the Bible memorized in Hebrew and Greek? There is not a person here who can't improve their relationship with Scripture. And if we do, what we will experience is the wonder of the confidential God touching the most secret, needy places in our lives. I dare you. I dare myself. Try it. See if it would disappoint. Let me close with telling a a Summit County Post story. Back in about the summer of 1996, we'd been here about two years, and I met a guy who wanted to take me sailing. Cool. Never mind that the water's 52 degrees. He wanted to take me sailing, so I accepted the offer to go on a catamaran there on Lake Dillon. A catamaran is two hulls, Pretty light with a really high sail. And so it's meant to scream along the surface of the water really fast. And (coughs) that's when I learned that the winds of Lake Dillon blow suddenly and from various directions, sometimes whirling about unpredictably like in a big bowl. And if you want to imagine these winds as having a mind, you might say the winds have a mind of their own. And I learned what happens if you don't react to the sudden changes in the conditions that you probably won't have a very good time. I experienced this in a very tangible way. I was on the catamaran, and the the guy who was hosting us gave me control of the sail. And it was my job to pay attention to the direction and the stiffness of the wind to adjust the sail a bit here and a bit there as the wind changed. And for the first maybe two or three minutes, I was doing fine, until suddenly the wind had a mind of its own. A sudden gust of wind came up. The wind filled the sail hard and started to heel the boat over hard and fast. And being inexperienced and out of surprise and a fear, I froze up, hanging onto the sail, and did nothing. That would have been okay if I hadn't been in control of the sail. But since I was, when the wind hit that sail, I was supposed to give it some slack so that the sail could let the wind spill out. But I didn't. I just hung onto that line for my life. And in two seconds, that sail slapped the water and pitched me into the drink. Boosh. Just like that. Okay, now I handled being in the water better than I handled the sail because I knew from the from talking to the likes of Dan Burnett and Tim Sealing that I had maybe three or four minutes before I died of hypothermia. (laughs) Plenty of time. And so I talked to myself calmly something like this. I said, keep cool, swim over to the boat that's right there and get out. And obviously I lived to tell the tale. However, I don't remember handling the sail anymore that day. The story reminds us that Jesus described the Holy Spirit as a wind. A wind that blows from where we do not know and wherever it wants. An unpredictable and powerful wind that is the presence of God who knows us confidentially and using scripture as his sail speaks to the secrets of our hearts and directs our lives. What's our part in it? Learn to handle the sail. The wind is going to blow. Learn to handle the sail. Let's pray. What a shame. Not literally a shame, Lord. What a waste. What a a tragedy. For there to be an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, infinite, loving God that knows us so well and loves us so well. Who wants to speak to us things that would be so healing and so helpful. And we just don't learn to listen. And so thank you for your word. That you have recorded your thoughts. Thank you for the miraculous nature of scripture. How a finite set of words can speak to an infinite number of issues in our lives. And God I pray for myself first. That in my relationship with scripture you would take me to the next level that my relationship with scripture would improve. And I pray for every other person whose heart is moved by this thought that you would improve their relationship with scripture too. That we could discover the confidential God who speaks secretly to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for the honor of teaching here again.
1: Do you, um, do you trust the Spirit of God to guide you into all truth? Do you even know what that means? Do you know how to trust the Spirit to guide you into all truth? Brian, thank you for wonderful, wonderful words. We come to that point in our service where we give you the opportunity to respond individually as well as a community of faith. We're going to give you the chance to do three things. One is to, if God puts it on your heart, to, um, to give to our offering. We're also going to give you the chance to celebrate communion together as a community of faith. And we're going to give you a chance to come talk to us and pray together with us. Those are things that we do. At Dylan, we uh, close our service this way. I'm going to ask the ushers to come on down.